I've got cancer, but I'm part of a clinical trial that could lead to new breakthroughs. I've got cancer, but I've also got researchers working together to find a cure. If you or a loved one has cancer, you need New Jersey's only comprehensive cancer center designated by the National Cancer Institute. I've got cancer, but I've also got hope. Learn more at rwjbh.org slash beatcancer. RWJ Barnabas Health and Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Let's beat cancer together. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, joined by Sam Kassan and Amanda Stein. Just three friends talking some Devils hockey for the next half hour or so on this edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. And it's good to see you both. Happy New Year, belatedly, as uh, it's 2022. My goodness, the calendar uh, shocks me sometimes, quite frankly. Maddie, where do you put the cutoff for New Year? That's a good question. The, third. the answer is the third. Is it the third? The see, third. see, as we record this, it's now the fifth. I think we're close to the cutoff, but then sometimes, like, we're, we're about to play Columbus. As we record this, we're on the verge of playing the Columbus Blue yeah. Jackets. And I will see some folks from the Columbus media or the team, and do you say Happy New Year to them? Haven't seen them. But there is a point where they look at you like, what but are you talking about? But then we might see, about? like, Calgary in, like, three weeks. I mean, I don't know the actual schedule now. <laughs> That's like, too long. You know what I mean? Like, That's so, like, long. where is your, you know, so Blake, for... Blake Coleman gets a hello, but he does not get a Happy New Year. <laughs> I'm just going to follow Larry David's lead from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's the third. It's a, that's it. All You're right. done. Well, it's okay. fair enough. I, I think it's so a... So hi, Matt. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Happy New Year. All right, there. Thank you. See, we're divided here, but we're friends throughout. All right, so there's a lot we want to talk about as we kind of review 2021. There were bad. There was good, though, that we will talk about. But the overarching, not only in the NHL, but around the world story was COVID, mm-hmm. and it created a bubble that was very strict. And, Amanda, you had to live in that bubble. Sam, you came and joined the Devils as the bubble yeah. was just being put into effect. So you both uh, have interesting perspectives. But really, give us the inside scoop on what it was like behind the scenes where contact was limited and the rules were pretty strict. It was, and it was sort of, you know, when they say bubble, I mean, they meant bubble, right? You could only be on certain floors in the building, in all the buildings that we were playing in, obviously coming in every single day to get tested, whether it was an off day or not. So you really didn't have a day where you didn't have to get up and do something. And that does, you know, for whether it's a player or staff or whatever, it does take its toll on you because you don't necessarily get that rest that you need. Um, And and I mean, I have two perspectives on it because – One of the things that I really appreciated about being in the bubble, because look, it was a privilege for me to be, to have that opportunity because not everyone did and felt really removed from the players. We were in a year where it was a brand new coaching staff, where there were a lot of new players. And this for me really allowed me to get to know them on a different level because there was nobody else. Do you know what I mean? So, like, Lindy was new. Mark Recchi was new. Naz obviously has been here for a while. Chris Taylor. Um, and then just some of the new players coming in as well, who I remember at the beginning of this year, uh, Maddie, you being like, hey, like, 
we've spoken to each other, I guess maybe it was like Andreas Johnson, right? Like we've spoken yeah. a lot, but I'm Matt, you know? <laughs> like we've been working together. And so I really felt that it offered me a really unique perspective and ability to create relationships that are so important to what the three of us do. Um, and because you're with them all the time, you know, there was no leaving the hotel. And when it was like no leaving the hotel, it was no leaving the hotel. We all ate our, our meals together. You're on the bus together, like every single thing. So I try and look at it from that positive is that it really helped me build relationships that perhaps maybe would have taken a lot longer to have to have made. And conversely, it was more difficult, yeah. Sam, I'm sure you would say, to make those relationships and, and create those that back and forth that works over time and enables you to get better stories. Yeah, obviously we're isolated outside of the bubble. The only contact we have is through these Zoom calls. And, and the other, sorry, just the thing with Zoom is that like, they could like they couldn't necessarily see you. They could sure, just sometimes yeah. just hear your voice, yeah. right? Like depending on the setup. Yeah, yeah. So like you were just this voice, Sam. To and, these and, then, guys. and even once getting into the next year, not to peel too far ahead, but then yeah, you're in the conference room, but I've got a mask on, so they still don't know what I look yeah. like. They're brought into the podium, they do their interviews, they leave. So it created a lot of difficult situations where you can't really ask them a little more the, the intimate mm -hmm. questions that you want to, because obviously when you're speaking on Zoom, they're speaking to many media, so. Yeah. You can't have that real personal, like, question about, you know, stick length and, you know, torque, you know, the torque they have. And there's, like, small things I really enjoy learning about guys that just, there's just no time for that during that situation. So, different covering the game. Certainly, and Matt, you want to get your perspective, but yeah. I obviously was outside the bubble. I could only watch the games on television, and I'm trying to write off of that. And you just miss so much action when you're watching on television. You miss what's going on behind the play. You miss seeing how the play develops or guys which position they're in and you know a play will go and you're like you're wondering whose assignment that was that maybe missed assignment or who yeah. took advantage of an opportunity and the replays don't always give you the angle that you're trying to see and it made certain situations like that certainly a lot more difficult but you roll with the punches right I mean it had to be very difficult on play-by-play -play. it was different that's for sure calling a game off a monitor is awfully hard first off calling a game with no fans in a building Weird. even if you're in the building where the game is being played and Chico and I did travel to some road games toward the end of the year we went to Madison Square Garden Nassau Coliseum we went down to Philadelphia but in the beginning it was just live action at Prudential Center and there's nobody in the building yeah it was weird <laughs> yeah. it was weird it was really weird and so it's just an entirely sterile environment and yet the guys are playing hard in front of you and once you put the headsets on and you kind of get into your own little thing, then you are still able to call it as if there was 14, 15,000 people in a building. So, But I think so much of what you do too, though, Matt, is like that reaction to the fan reaction, oh, right? Yeah. Like you, you sort of understand the story of the game in a, in a different way based on how people are reacting. I remember like maybe like the first goal that was scored here in uh, at Prudential Center, like as a staff, we were like... Yeah, <laughs> like, because like it was just you like, well, wait, you know, it's so funny. It's like sometimes when you're do like we all do this, like you're working. I mean, Matt, you're always paying attention. But like Sam and I, sometimes like you'll look down to like type something or check a note and someone will have scored. And normally you're just so used to hearing like the crowd response. Mm -hmm. um, but there was like a couple of occasions where like I just completely missed the goal because there's no reaction, yeah. you know? You're like, oh, 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 I better, like, figure out what just happened there. Well, yeah, and then there was the artificial crowd noise yeah. that was used in the broadcast, which was odd. But the oddest of all was doing a road game yeah. from a darkened Prudential Center. 
because no one was required to come to the building. No one was really allowed to the building. We were, everyone was working remotely, but we came in because that was where our setup was. So it would be me and Chico. It would be a statistician. Uh, Rob Lapolis joined us, the uh, then Binghamton Devils announcer, because they were housed here. So he would do some intermission work for us, as Sam is doing now. And we had our engineer. So there was like five of us in this cold, dark building. Did they put it up on the big screen? Like no, that? no, oh. we, we did have a big screen. See, that's how I imagined it. I thought they would have put it on the screen. Yeah, no, we had no? a big, I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. 80-inch screen. Okay. I don't even know if they make them. It was big. So you, you, the game was right there in front of you, but now you're getting sound effects that are piped in. They're artificial anyway, and then they're being piped in from Detroit, or not Detroit, we didn't play Detroit, Buffalo or, or Boston, so it was just odd, to be honest with yeah. you. It was just an odd thing. You had to create your own enthusiasm because there was no buildup. You know, you come into a ring, fans are filing, and you're getting ready for the performance, the right? There's a, a pregame warm-up. You see the players out on the ice. The music's playing. But you don't get that when you're just getting a feed because MSG or whomever yeah. is not covering pregame warm-ups, per se. So next thing you know, it's like, here we are, and the puck is dropped. <laughs> It was just really odd, to be so, honest with you. I did get to take in a few games where it was partial crowd. So I didn't get to do any of the, the empty, empty buildings, and I didn't hear any of the artificial noise. But even the partial crowd was really strange, too, because same thing. It's like a half cheer where it's yeah. like kind of loud, but something big happened, but you don't really know. And So what was stranger? Um, I, I think having no crowd and certainly doing it a road game from yeah. here in an empty building. That, that was odd. Uh, but, yeah, having some fans. But you know what it was? It was optimism, right? There was hope then. Mm -hmm. We were moving closer to whatever normal would be. So, oh, we're allowed to have fans in the building. It's great. Uh, can't get near them. Uh, you know, masks are still enforced, all that sort of stuff. But at least there was a sense of, okay, you know, we're moving away from the real depths of it. So that was that was lifting, enlightening, and yeah. it, was a, it was emotional. But it was good to go on the road, too, because it forced me to say, hey, I know we've got to deal with this, but I'm going to break through. I'm, I'm not going to have COVID completely control me. If the buildings will allow us in, then we'll drive to Philadelphia. We'll drive to Nassau Coliseum. We'll drive or take the train into Madison Square Garden. And I think that that's something that I was so thankful for with our league and our team in particular is being in the bubble allowed me, in a sense, to really feel a degree of normalcy, even though it wasn't normal. Um, just the way things operated that most of the world did not get to have, right? Like I was still in my job with the people that I normally work with doing what I did really not very differently than than I did to begin with other than the Zoom. And the Zoom thing was kind of weird for me because like the player would like walk by me into a Zoom room and I'd be like on the outside of the Zoom room just like standing on the other side, right? Just because of like the protocols, but... I, I'm really appreciative and thankful that my experience through this, I, I've been afforded afforded that because I know a lot, a lot of people haven't. And, you know, it, it yeah, I'm just really thankful for that, honestly. Yeah, it's and there were games that were played, which was fantastic. Yeah. And there were some exciting moments early yeah. on as we move off the COVID bubble and the impact it had on Well, exactly, to them, the players. And Yegor Sharangovich had a coming out party very early on. And kick-started Sam an unbelievable season yeah was it one second left to go in that overtime and it, not only yeah that, that kind of set the precedent not only for the, for the year and you talk about the optimism there's so much optimism going into the season and to have that game against that team 
you know, that opponent, which is a very good Boston team, mm -hmm. to do that and to have a young guy, a 21-year-old kid, basically a rookie playing, you know, very fresh off the farm, comes in, scores that huge goal as the big celebration and kind of sets the stamp on so much optimism was running through the team at that point. And obviously, as you said, it, it really projected him onto having a, an excellent rookie campaign. Yeah. And there was so much hype around Sharon Govich because he had spent the months leading up to the NHL season playing in the KHL where he just like took the league by storm. So there was like a lot of pressure, I think, on his young shoulders. And I remember when he scored that overtime goal at Prudential Center, um, we were sort of standing in the corner. The, the people that I work with were standing in the corner where the players come in and out. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where he scored the goal. And that celebration where he's got like his stick up, he's on one foot, came right by us. And that, I don't know, it just, you're right, Sam. It just felt like it was setting the year up for something really special. Now, of course, we know how things ended up, but there was a lot of special moments during that year. Yeah, there were. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a large number of them occurred early. Yeah. Because then once COVID hit, the team never really found Brutal, its yeah. its ballast and, and, and got back into it. Toward the end, had a few wins, but just weren't really able to overcome it all. And I don't know whether it was the the amount of games coming at them, the youth of the team, whatever it was. Uh, I think probably a I combination think, of both of yeah. those things. And, you know, COVID did hit the team really hard it in did. two different waves, right? Both times we happened to be in Pittsburgh. So I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> Sam, I know you're Started from. Started in Buffalo, right? <laughs> Fair, that's true. That, Started that in Buffalo. That's but, where, all, but then all the results then, like, came known yeah, in Pittsburgh. Then, like, in Pittsburgh, it was like, we were, like, literally confined to our rooms and had to go, like, in shifts to go get food and then bring it up to your room. But... I digress. Um, it really did. And I think, like, it, it hit the team really hard in terms of, remember, no one was vaccinated then. So, like, the effects were a lot worse for a lot of these mm -hmm. players. Um, you know, if you think back to McKenzie, right? Like, McKenzie Black was saying he was having such a hard time breathing and it took him a while to sort of get his breath back um, to, to get to where he needed to be. So it did. It wiped the whole team out. And I, I have to say it was also a real mental grind. Right, because you know you're in that bubble. You know people are getting sick. You know that, like, you know, okay, you're you're stopped for two weeks now to sort of figure things out. But then when you're stopped for those two weeks, you're also thinking like, okay, well, we still got to play these 56 games. So that means they're going to come at us fast and furious after that, and you sort of lose this ability to find any sort of rest. Yeah, I think the compound of everything, and yeah. going back to that. Coming out of it, it was already a condensed schedule because yeah. they're trying to jam 56 games in a short window. Now you lose two weeks, now it's even more condensed schedule, and the schedule was basically set up that they had four and six every week. Yeah. Yeah. And they can get that one off day. So the health issue, obviously, coming out of that, they weren't 100%, as Amanda alluded to. Some of the guys had breathing issues. Other guys had different issues they were dealing with. Maddie, you're right, the youth, you know, they were just inexperienced yeah. in many ways, not as talented as the teams they're playing. And then... They couldn't practice ever yeah. because you had to manage their energy levels and you didn't want to overburden them and overwork them. So it was they play a game and have a couple errors and, you know, the coaching staff really wanted to get at it the next day and correct them. But you can't hit them too hard because they got to be ready and fresh for the following game. So all those things compounded. Staff, right. So that's even that compounds mm -hmm. even more because it's new systems, new people. Right. Like that makes it an even bigger deal than if it was maybe a coach that had been working with the team for a long time. And, and all those things and the momentum. Like, they had that great start. Yeah. You thought they could ride that, and they just really just shut the door on their momentum and just limped along to the end of the season. As you said, Manny, they did have that four-game winning streak t towards the end, but 
We're just never able to really yeah. get it going. Yeah. Had some moments against Boston. Of course, we talked about Sharon Govich, Mackenzie Blackwood, you know, big toe save. Uh, Kyle Palmieri scores the only goal in two games. They win one nothing uh, over Boston. Crazy that less than a year ago, Kyle Palmieri was still part of this. Well, that's like, part, yeah. that's just like how long this calendar year has felt. Yeah, well, and it also marked a transition. Then that leads us to really the transition that took place the year before Andy Green had been traded. But then, as it's clear that the Devils are going to turn the reins over, and Tom Fitzgerald has said, you know, we'll know when Nico and Jack tell us it's time, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. We know that. Uh, and so it was time for the vets to move on. Uh, they were not going to re-sign Kyle Palmieri. I'm not sure he would have re-signed here. He wanted a chance and wants a chance to win a Stanley Cup. And Travis Ajak decided to join his friend Andy Green uh, for the remaining portion of his career, as it turns out. And so the Devils went from, certainly in Travis's case, the last remnant to their glory, even though he didn't play on a Stanley Cup championship team, but he played on teams that had players on those teams. Team. Yeah, but well, he, well, he did go final. to the final, yeah. but he didn't win one. So, you know, he was the last link to really the glory years, and it was finally and officially broken. And I, I want to know your perspective on that, because obviously, like, I worked with Travis for the last four years of his career, but you've worked with Travis for a, you know, for, was it his entire career? Uh, my, la my first day doing radio was his first day in the NHL. I mean, and that's incredible. So what was it like for you as someone who's been around this team for so long and then also having Travis there and then that day in Buffalo, right? We were in Buffalo when Travis and Kyle got traded. What did that, you know, what did that signify to you and sort of how did that like make you feel about what was happening? Well, having been along uh, around for as long as I have been, you see players come and go yeah. and great ones have retired and great ones move on. And, you know, Travis is a great devil, yeah. right? Um, you're sad to see him go, but you're happy for his opportunity mm -hmm. because he did not win a Stanley Cup championship here. And he's an exemplary player who gave it his all and just represented the crest and yeah. himself and his family well. So you want him to do well. But it reminds you that Father Time you know, <laughs> yeah. doesn't wait for anybody. You know, uh, it, it was time to turn the page and, and be part of Jack Hughes's growth and Nico Heischer's growth. And I'm not sure that I'll see the end of their careers as an announcer. <laughs> Who knows? They may still be playing by time I'm done. But with a little luck, maybe I'll be able to call their games the entirety of their careers as I did with the, essentially with Travis. Did you do you feel that maybe he was like the perfect devil to be the the last one of his era to like hand over the reins? You know, in some ways, because you know he was low key, never had to worry yeah. about him. Uh, but he came up with some clutch performances, the occasional fight, all those good <laughs> things that that made Travis a great devil. And so, yeah, in some ways, it was appropriate that it was he who in passed some ways, over, passed yeah. it along to the Jacks and the Nikos and, you know, the Mackenzie Blackwoods and all the young players that the Devils are going to build on from, from here on in. And some of the veteran young guys had a chance to, to learn, on him, learn under him. Look, we, we romanticize a lot of stuff yeah. in media <laughs> about it, but, you know, Travis Ajax just came in and he just went to work we every day. He yeah. understood what it is to be a pro, which means you have to work hard. We think this comes natural to these guys, and it does. They're gifted athletically. But success in the NHL does not come, with very rare exception, naturally. Yeah. You know, the Connor McDavid still work at it. Sidney Crosby 
works at it. Yeah. Their gifts are extraordinary, but they still have to work hard to get to the very top of the pyramid. And that's what the players have to learn, that every day it's work. Yeah. It's fun, but it's work. And yeah, Travis exemplified that throughout his career. It's funny because when I had the privilege of doing that interview when he had decided that he was going to announce his retirement, I had the privilege of going to spend you know several, several hours with him and his family at his house. And one of the first things I asked him, I said, you know, like, when did you know? Which is like a very basic cliche question, but it's, you know, an honest one. He said, I didn't, I didn't want to do the work anymore. Yeah. That was it. He's like, I didn't have it in me to do the work anymore. And I feel like with him, it's all or nothing. He's either all Absolutely. in, all work, Absolutely. or like, if he doesn't, if he can't be 100, mm -hmm. he's not going to do 90. He's not even going to do 99. If he can't do 100, that's it. Yeah. And, and credit to him for not extending it yeah. beyond his own expiration date, right? Yeah. Once he stopped working as hard as he needed to, he knew he couldn't live up to his own standards. I just want so to say how much, like, I mean, I know we all know this. It meant so much to him to sign, you know, that one-day contract. You know, it's, it, it is like a, a gesture that in the end doesn't really mean it because, like, you're not playing a final mm -hmm. game. But I know, and Maddie, as well as you know, um, as well as you know Travis and his family, I know that meant so much to him. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think it really did. From the moment he was drafted, he was a devil, and, yeah. and, it, and it ends that way even though physically it ended on, yeah. on Long Island with his last game played. So, uh, yeah, it was the end of an era. But it, this year, this past year, also represented the start of a new era with a new captain. Nico Heesha gets named captain. Jack Hughes signs major extension, you know, all those things start to happen. The new devils are in charge. Yeah, and, and the room's theirs now. So you hope that, obviously, Nico's talked a lot about after becoming the captain, how much he leaned on other guys, and he leaned on the Travises and the Kyles and all those guys that had been there before and learned from those guys. You know, he's seen how those guys handle themselves on a professional level and is taking it in. Obviously, he's a different sort of captain. He's his own man. Uh, he's not the, as rah-rah, more a leader by example, more the... Blocking shot, and I don't want to say a meaningless game on Long Island, but is willing to block a shot just to send a statement. You know, he's so if the rest of the bench looks and says, "Hey, if this guy's out there doing this, what excuse do I have not to go out there and just give it my all, regardless of the circumstances and situation?" And and now the onus is on him in many ways. And I think interestingly enough, with the captaincy, I mean, everyone thinks that the captain is like the guy talking to the referee or yeah. the leader or the guy with the C, but. There's so many things that go on behind the scenes in the locker room. I mean, even small things, like when a player is acquired, you send them a text welcoming them to the team. Or when they show up the first day, going up and greeting them and just being that present. Yeah, introducing yeah. them around the room and, like, being that type of presence. And, and those are all the little things that we're not going to see, but that I guarantee you Nico's going to really excel at. And it's the small things that are going to endear him to his teammates, not only the on-ice play, as I said, in the effort, but those little things he does behind the scenes for guys, helping them. And, and he's even talked about life situations, like yeah. not just hockey. I mean, we obviously talk about the hockey, and that's the number one thing we see, and it's the priority. It's their job. But they're human beings, too, and they've got lives, and, you know, somebody might have a bad day at home, and then he's got to come to the rink and put that behind him. And if he's having a tough time, you know, your captain's the guy that's got to be there and keep things moving along. And so it, it is a true changing of the guard. Nico's going to lead in his own way. Like I said, he took a lot of the lessons from those he was around and absorbed everything like a sponge, as Tom Fitzgerald likes to say <laughs> uh, many, many times. But he is going to be his own man, and, and it is time for him to step up and be that leader that they need him to be, really, for the foreseeable future. And I also, like, one thing I, I really, like, 
captain doesn't have to have the most points. Doesn't have to have them. Like, I think sometimes, we, like, that sort of gets lost in the discussion. Like, oh, well, he's not putting up points every single game. And, by the way, Nico's doing just fine offensively. <laughs> but um, it is, you know, it is so much about what happens off the ice as opposed to on the ice because there are assistant captains. There are other stars. There are other players who do all kinds of different things to the best of their abilities. So I'm glad you brought that up, Sam, because it, it is those very little things that, you know, even us who spend all the time with the players um, don't even see. That is 100% true. And so the season ended last year, the 2021 year ended, a lot of disappointment. But then the summer comes around and, you know, once you clear the air a little bit, some optimism starts to creep in because there were some significant changes to the Devils organization in terms of influx of talent. And I know everyone wants to talk about down the road what the Devils got in this draft and what Luke Hughes in particular may add to the team. But before we get to there, I want to talk about the guys who are making immediate impacts. And the Devils made a statement, Sam, when they signed Dougie Hamilton. I think he made a statement about what's here uh, and potential uh, exists here. And I think the signing, not only does it spring a lot of optimism for the team and a lot of buzz, obviously fans love the move, but it says something about what he sees in this organization, Dougie Hamilton. I mean, you're talking about the big fish, if you will, to hate to use the pun, but the big fish of the free agent market who could have gone anywhere. I mean, money wasn't an issue. He was going to get money. He was going to get yeah. paid. Mm -hmm. So he had his choice of any team he wanted to go to, and he chose New Jersey. And the flip side of that is Tom Fitzgerald and his staff sold New yeah. Jersey to him. It was a, a two-way street there. Both sides came to an agreement, whether it's the management, the city, the, the structure, the team, the potential, the future, all those things were put on the table by Tom Fitzgerald to lure Dougie Hamilton in, and he bought in. He's here. He wants to be here. And it sends a message around the rest of the, the National Hockey League. If the best player in the entire free agent market can go anywhere and he chooses to go to New Jersey, something must be brewing in New Jersey that they're, they're going to take attention to. And the next time there's a free agent opportunity or the next time there's a trade opportunity or something comes up, you know, I mean, we talk about free agents, but if a guy's got a limited trade clause and says, hey, you know what, Jersey's a place I'm willing to go and something can happen. Yeah, that's it, a good point. Yeah, it sends a message that people want to play here. They see what's happening, what's being built here. They want to be a part of that future and part of what's being built. And, and the league notices, you know, the, the, the little things. But every player, I think, in the National Hockey League took notice whenever Dougie Hamilton signed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we all took notice. And, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, would, would this be – the first time, like, the top free agent on the market chose New Jersey? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. There were some other guys who had some good resumes who yeah. signed with the New Jersey Devils. But, but they were the they weren't the top, top. And, you know, there are some old-timers who would say that if you're paying anyone $9 million a year to play a game, <laughs> yeah. you've overpaid. But, you know, please yeah. get off my lawn. Stop yeah. that. Uh but there are other guys that the Devils overpaid to bring in to come here. Right. Either they didn't have any real other offers, <laughs> yeah. or they had offers, but the Devils had to overpay to get them. So yeah. now this is the first time where the number one guy signed with the Devils. And I think it shouldn't be lost either. Oh, you're like Kovalchuk. Yeah, you know, yeah, who yeah. resigned re with the team. But that, yeah. that's, that's different. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. You've yeah. had a taste of it already. Like yeah, you exactly. know what's going on already. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it shouldn't be lost upon anyone either that ownership put yes. $63 million into this guy. So this was yep. an investment all around. I mean, 
when the ownership and, and the managing partners put $63 million and seven years of a commitment into a single player, yeah. it shows you that they've got the backing. They're going to back the team. They're going to do what it takes to win. And it shows Tommy Fitzgerald, hey, go out there and put a winner together. Whatever you got to do, however yeah. you got to get it done, free agent, trade, whatever, You're signing. Yeah. yeah, here's yeah. the money. Here's the support you need. And, and I think that sends a message, too, around the league that the Devils are willing to put the investment in, spend the money, do what it takes to build a winner here. They're not just going to shortcut things and try to get it done the easy yeah. way. They're going to do the hard work for the long haul. And I think ownership certainly sent a message there as well. No question. And uh, Ryan Graves gets added as well. That. Yeah. Love yeah. That, Help solidify the blue line unquestionably. Yeah. yeah. I just think that especially, I mean, we've seen that pairing of Dougie and Ryan Graves together has been really a delight to watch, but I think one of the things you know that we've heard all year so far is look how improved our defense has been. And not just like in terms of skill, but size, right? And Ryan brings that to um to the defense absolutely. And you know, Dougie's a little more offensively uh minded, whereas you have someone like Ryan who complements that really well. And I think what Ryan did is he's allowed for people to sort of fall more into what their what their zone is, like who, who they are and not have to overachieve or play a different type of role. I've really liked the addition of Ryan Graves and the minutes that he plays. It's just nice to see that everyone sort of is falling into their, into their rightful place. Yeah, and of course, Dougie now, as we record this, has suffered a broken yes. jaw and will be sidelined for a while, but I think he's been pretty much as advertised. Uh, I think we saw before he got hurt, he was starting to assert himself more. I think we forget that when you come to a team, yeah, yeah I mean, you're signed here for a reason. You are an alpha dog, but it does take a while to figure mm-hmm. out personalities and where I fit in. Very rarely do you have someone come in new first day and say, "This is I'm staking out claim that I've got I've got a spot at the top of the mountain." It and, just takes and a while. Dougie's not like that to begin no, with, right? Like he he's a very different kind of guy. Um, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed working with him, but he is a bit of a different breed. And you're right. I don't think Dougie would ever come in and be like. I am the guy, like, you know, all hail Dougie Hamilton. But he, you know, he, he's sort of like Travis in that way that he just, he puts in the work. He comes in, he does his thing. And, you know, Sam, we've talked about it often, how, like, he is always the first one here. And, like, you know, he's, like, closing the lights at the end of the day because everyone else is gone. <laughs> well, he just loves the game. Yeah. Loves, loves the sport. And you mentioned he's different. He, he, the funny thing is he's not shy. He's just a little no. more soft-spoken. And yeah. I think people maybe misinterpret that. And, and he did, does get the A as an alternate captain coming in, a lot of responsibility there. But I remember early on, every time we'd interview, you know, an Alexander Holtz and, and, a, and a Nolan. This or, is a very good Yeah, and, and a foot. Yeah, like all these young guys, even Dawson like the Mercer. Dawson Mercer, Stu Nietzsche, all these guys, we'd ask them, like, oh, well, it's your first training camp or your second training camp. You're getting your feet wet. Like, who have been some of the guys that have helped you? And every single yep. one of them would say Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. And, and, Which is incredible because he was also new. Yeah. And so yeah. here's the new guy, but he's not afraid to be that welcoming committee, taking guys, the, the young guys to lunch, and just being that open-ended, you know, there's a relationship here. Like, I might be the guy that just signed $63 million, and you might be the 19-year-old rookie coming in for your first training camp, but we're the same. We're on the yeah. same team. We're on the same level. Like, there's, let's have this communication and build that. So those leadership qualities coming out right away. And, and the overall thing, I think, when you looked at the position of defense, because going into the offseason – I mean, at the forwards, you, you could see that the talent was there with the Jacks, the Nikos, you know, even the Zakos, a little 
little older, but still very young. Obviously, Jesper Bratt, Sharon Govich, Quokin. You could see the young springing talent, uh, even the Holtzes and Foots. But, but defense, yeah, there was a little lacking in the system. So it was an area that they needed to address. And, man, Graves, Hamilton, they really went out and addressed it. They did. And then they addressed the future on the back end, we think, with drafting Luke Hughes, which I think thrilled everyone. No one well, more thrilled Jack than Jack. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was hilarious. Can we just, like, talk about that person? That was the funniest reaction ever. Like, it was so genuine, like, brotherly. Yeah. Not even team. Like, it had nothing to do with the devil. Like, it was just, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his floppy hair everywhere was great. Going the big Sorry, hug yeah. he gave his brother when, <laughs> when the name was announced and uh, the reception that the announcement received here at Prudential Center where we hosted a draft party was, was phenomenal. And so, yeah, another Luke, another Hughes in the fold. But let's give... Luke's some breathing room, say, right? That's that, a few years down the road. a good, road, like, good start him, to his career at Michigan. Let but let him hang in Michigan. Yeah, for let, a let bit. him grow a little bit. They only need a year or two to get there. But you're right. I just, speaking of those good feels, like the, I just think of that draft party here at the Prudential Center, the crowd chanting his name. You had Luke Hughes signs. Like th- this town wanted him to be a part of the Devils. Obviously, the, the team did too, and, and he deserves to be here on his own merit. Obviously, he's a Hughes and has the brother connection, but. Luke Hughes was drafted because of Luke Hughes, obviously not because of Jack. It's a nice story and a nice angle, but just the way, whether it was social media, the crowd, the fans, we talked about that optimism and that feel good. Like it just seemed to galvanize and really energize the fan base. And you're right. It's a few years down the road and there's going to be a lot of fun stories and memes to come and whatever it is, one year, two year, three year, whatever it may be. Obviously you don't want to rush the kid, but once we get there, man, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And so he goes with an L Hughes, you know how like, so, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. On yeah. his jersey? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's going to go with that. Yeah, you, you just think it'll be used, maybe? You have to make it J Hughes, then? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Well, I think the number just gives it away, yeah, right? That's what it, Whatever number. Did the Sedins have, did the Sedins have, the, I can't remember. I believe they did. They, they did, did, eh? They did, yeah. 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 So just a random question. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll find out in a few well, they years. Came, they came well, together, too, though, so they were kind of hard to tell yeah. apart at first. And they're also identical, so yeah. I guess. And they play the same. Yeah, sorry well, about you're that. You're right. There is a number that identifies you, so why would you need the initial? Yeah, I, but I, was just curious. I think there's going to be – I think okay. there's an L and a J well, we in our future. we'll check back in a few yeah. years. Right. I think uh, Frosty, uh, Chris yeah. Capetto, the head uh, equipment manager, has already got that taken <laughs> care of in advance. He knows how he'll handle that. We have to ask him. I'm, trying I'm, to I'm going to. I'm going to. Do we have, did, was there ever any brothers? Oh, well, the need to, no, that was in, uh, yeah, that was in uh, yeah. Anaheim. Uh, brothers, brothers, real quick, I, you know, off the top of my head, uh, Aaron and Neil, Neil Broughton, but they, Aaron was gone by then, so anyway. Yeah, anyways, okay. Yeah, all. exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, so a couple of things to wrap up uh, as we've now gotten into the tail end uh, of, 2021 and season got off to a good start and devils from November to middle and middle of December really just had some struggles. What do you take out of the end of the calendar year? What the devils were able to do and then taking it into the early part of 2022. I'm like, where are we right now, Matt? Where are we right now? Well, we started out with Happy New Year a few, day, few days too late. So now we're going to just go back, roll yeah, back the clock a, 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 a week or so. I, I think we can include the Washington win. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, we've heard the word reset a lot, um, a lot. 
And there was, you know, what I liked about hearing that word is that the team certainly backed that up in those three games. Obviously, you know, when we're recording this, it's fresh off of the loss in Boston. But again, you're not going to win every game, even though you say, like, you know, it's a reset and we're playing better. Because they did play better against Boston than maybe they deserved, but also just sticking to the system and all those cliches, they really did do that. But um, I think there's hope again, right? I think, like, when there was that six-game skid, I think there was that worry, like, oh, my gosh, like, are we going to sort of, like, fall again into this black hole, I guess, without being too dramatic. Um, Coming out now and starting this new year... I see a lot more optimism. I really do. I see Jack coming into his own more fresh off of his injury and sort of getting back to, you know, getting back to who he is as a player, all those little things. Certainly there are definitely things that can be fixed and need to be looked at, but I think there's more optimism now. And I would actually, what really fills me with optimism, and Maddie, you mentioned the changing of the guard. After that skid, when things kind of abruptly ended with the postponement in Pittsburgh, yeah. Montreal. I remember Tom Fitzgerald spoke to the media, and the one thing he said is, the players have to own this. Yes. This, is, this is the player, you know, the coaches can only do so much. The actors got to act, as Michelle Taran would always like to say. It's up to the players to get it done on the, on the stage. And so Tom Fitzgerald was talking about the room and how it's, it's a quiet room. There's not really a lot of boisterous things going on. And it, it, the answer had to come from within that room, guys holding each other accountable. And, Maddie, you mentioned um, Brat telling you and Chico on the radio that the players had a little discussion amongst themselves. So they, they got together and yeah. they looked at the way they were playing. They weren't very structured in their play. They were a little loose, a little too, you know, flagrant with the puck and sometimes a little bad on some of their decision-making and just undisciplined in some of their actions. And it took them getting together. Both the break obviously helped because the COVID was just ravaging. The COVID yeah. and illnesses were ravaging the team. But they got together and said, all right, as a team, we need – to be better in how we play. And then not only do they have that discussion, now they're holding each other accountable. Now they're doing it on the ice. You look at the the three-game winning streak, whether it was Buffalo, Edmonton. Edmonton was kind of a weird game. But Washington, where they're playing much better structurally. They're not having all those bad turnovers. They're in the proper positions. They're not taking penalties. Like, all these little things that... Penalties are huge. Yes. Oh, absolutely. All those little things that, I mean, that could have been there from the beginning, but it took them rallying around each other, holding each other accountable, and finally getting it done. Because the coaches can yell and scream, you know, be here, do this. You got to be here. You got to make this play, make this read. But the players got to do it on the ice. You've got to make that split-second decision on your breakout pass and and all those things. And so seeing them take ownership, I think that is what should have you feeling optimistic heading into this next calendar year and the second half of the season. Yeah, and that's what it is, is for me. It was dark, let's be honest. Yeah in that losing that took place. And you thought, like, how much longer before we start to see some light? But they started to turn it around. And I think the beginning of the year, while everyone's hopeful, oh, make the playoffs, make the playoffs, you knew how difficult it was going to be. What I told most people, and I I assert it to this day, is what you want is on April 29th, when the last regular season is played, unless a regular season game is played, when the fans put a capper on the season, they can say, I can't wait for next year to begin because yeah. I can finally see there's a payoff. And I think we're starting to see that. It just was a little wonky getting there. So that's what, that's what I'm hopeful for. And, and a lot of great memories, too. I started the season off with Jack hitting the overtime goal against Chicago, tossing his stick into the crowd. And then a lot of it, again, COVID's ravaged the team recently. They lost Jonathan Bernier for most of the season. 
two straight years they wanted to have that 1A, 1B goaltending duo, and two straight years they're not in the position they hope to be. I don't want to say stuck with just one goaltender, but they have one goaltender that's really going to have to shoulder the load. And so it, they lose Jack for 16 games. I mean, there were a lot of issues, too. This is a team that doesn't have the depth that can ill afford to lose star players of that pedigree like that. So they've had to weather a lot of those issues, and a lot of that was the dark period. But it's just, it, spring's coming, and you can feel the, the warmth coming, and you can see them kind of coming out of that. Do you know, last night I had a conversation as I w- we were in Boston. I bumped into Taylor Hall, our old friend Taylor Hall, and we were just chatting in the hallway. Um, and I've always had a really great relationship with him. And, you know, when you're not in that reporter player role anymore you know he doesn't have to sort of like put on a show on what he's saying and I don't either right and so he was just asking me he's like how is it going I said you know like we've been going through like a really tough time like we went on this six game skid and it was looking bleak and now we're sort of coming out of it and he said to me he said you know Amanda he's like it is a young team don't forget like even though they have that experience and he was here for a lot of these guys it is a young team it will turn around and so for someone who's removed but also has the knowledge of the game to say that, it, it held a little more to me mm-hmm. when it comes to throwing out that we're still young and learning. While the, our locker room here in New Jersey doesn't necessarily like to hear that, we've heard Jack say that they don't like, there is some truth behind it. And to hear someone from the outside who's in the game say that and have confidence, he said, they will come along. You've got a lot of talent on that team. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. To me, that that spoke volumes. Yeah. Before he suffered the the injury, I thought we saw Nico Heischer. You talked yeah. about he, he is scoring. He's getting a few goals, but he's getting points. Jack Hughes is now at a point-per-game pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we record this, he's got a four-game point scoring streak. He's matured as a player. He's making plays that he didn't make previously yeah. or – not making plays that yeah, he did, did make he, previously, he right? He's not forcing things as much. So you can see it. So as those two go, Tommy Fitzgerald's right, yeah. you know, we'll know when it's time. But it, it looks like it'll be time soon, and that's what excites me. Sharon Govich getting back off the schneid, yeah. had, had the four game before, obviously, the COVID protocol. Uh, there were a lot of good things going around. Damon Severson's playing the best hockey yeah, he really is. Of his yeah. career, maybe. Maddie, you, you can testify to that hey, more. The power so. play is scoring. Power play <laughs> Sorry, is scoring. I just want to throw that out there. It doesn't need to early. be used too much. Yeah, at penalty kill, which was dreadful early, really has turned it around. They stopped taking penalties. So there are a lot of steps that have been taken yeah. moving forward for the Devils. It still hasn't resulted in the team being where we would all like it to be. But I think that the march forward continues. And looking forward to what 2022 holds. So happy new year. A few days late. Have a great day, Matt. Thank you very much, Amanda. Sam. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to all our listeners. Happy New Year to our listeners. Exactly. Okay. We'll give it to them. All right. Fair enough. And uh, thank you for joining us. It's always appreciated when you are our company for the latest episode of Speak of the Devils, our podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. For Sam and Amanda, I'm Matt. Be safe, be well, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.